Rich people get away with murder. Everything. Everything, for sure. What would you do if you were rich for a day? Um, I would plan so many trips that require prepayment. (laughs) (laughs) Hurry, hurry, hurry. I'd be like, can I pay up front? Can I pay up front? Can I pay up front? Strategy on your part. Like I'd be like, I'd be like, okay, I'm rich for a day. I donate a ton. Like if it's only for a day, donate most of it. Put some in, hide some away in the mattresses. Squirrel it. You know, just take everything for myself. No investments, just mattresses. Mm. Like, would that still be taking the money away? That's, I don't know. I don't know the rules. Listen, you say what would you do if I was rich for a day? I don't yeah, know the rules. I, actually, I tricked you because all the money disappears after that day. So, so any you money just that wasted I donate, the day. Any money that I donate, it just yep, disappears. It disappears. You, and you look oh. like a real asshole. So tricked you. Ha ha. <laughs> I win. <laughs> <laughs> Yesterday, we went to the cemetery. Again? I love the cemetery. The one time I tried to go there, it was after the hurricane, so we couldn't go. Why? Because it was like there was debris. There were like a lot of damage. They have to fix it. When Remember oh. that? When we had that like... Cr- were you, you weren't in town for that. No, I left right before. You left right before. It was crazy <gasps> Oh my God, winds. speaking of, so we, we left town right before the hurricane and then was our, it an actual hurricane it, oh i don't know it's it like, was just winds from the hurricane that came through and they were it was a-g-g-r-e-s-s-i-v-e aggressive whoa good spelling it was a cheer in high school so that's why i was oh, like that was impressive um our neighbors showed us pictures of like our yard to be like oh this gate kind of broke or this happened right. to let us know because we were out of town and um, but then we got back into town and the week we were back in town, they walk, when they walk their dog, they take their dog into our yard. Um, do they and clean they, up after the puppy? Of course. They're good neighbors and they, they're great neighbors. And they, um, sent us a picture that was like, look, one of your sunflowers got decapitated and we have three sunflowers in the yard and one of them got decapitated, not where like it broke it looks like someone took a pair of scissors and just cut the flower but we have a gate and stuff so i'm like someone went in our. it was super creepy like someone went in our yard and cut is that scary people have real issues with sunflowers i don't know if you know that that. (laughs) it's a real hot topic i don't know if you know it it's sunflowers are on the list i'm just kidding Well, I was sort of hoping you were telling the truth because otherwise, what does it mean? It's like crop circles. Maybe it's just aliens. I have to tell you also, Hmm. there's an article someone sent me from The Cut called The Eco Yogi Slumlords of Brooklyn. It's a kind of an interesting read. What what was crazy about it? Is, is this the, the reason... place that evicted people and then also owns like a yoga and all that? Okay. Yes. My friend told me about this because it was early in the pandemic where they evicted people like in from their buildings when it was like technically illegal to evict people from right. your buildings, like peak New York pandemic. 
And so there was some... And they are really aggressive. And there was some... Yeah, they, like, illegally locked them out. They changed their locks. Right. And put, like... So they... They then... What happened? There was, like, some circulation on the social media of being, like, boycott this yoga studio and this, some, like, store or something. Well... What's interesting about them is the reason I got someone sent me the article is that years ago, I had a friend who had moved from New York that came back here for her bachelorette party. Mm -hmm. And to have the party, we rented this cool Airbnb that had like a roof deck and a fish pond in the yard. And it's them. It's their Airbnb. Um, It's their home. And I didn't know there were any problems because since I'm local, I didn't actually sleep there. I just went for like some of the party and then went home. And I don't really know the other girls very well. Um, But they sent the article being like, you guys, this is the place we rented. And weren't they so weird? What's crazy is that shortly after we rented that place and had that party, I got an Airbnb request to rent my apartment from that family. And figured, oh, I see, they can rent their really nice brownstone with a yard for a bunch of money. So they probably rent it out and then rent, they go stay with their family in a shittier place. Right. Which is my place. Nailed it. (laughs) Nailed it. Um, And they did stay. And I don't remember much about it except that after they left and we'd already, like, posted a review, we found out they'd, like... There was a bunch of paint on one of our rugs, like one of their kit, and and that I had had some postcards I'd collected, and we found them hidden, and they had been like drawn on, like by a kid. Yeah. Um. So there was like some bummers, but I was like, uh, at the time, I think I might have even been pregnant with Koa, and I was like, let it go. It's hard to have a kid. I bet, like, yeah, it f- felt like kid karma situation where I'm like, right. I'm not going to give them a hard time because. It will be me in a few years that my kid's wrecking people's shit and I'm, like, trying to not get in trouble all the time. (laughs) And I still don't think it was malicious or anything crazy, but it was just interesting because I've been to their home, they've been to mine, but they're total strangers. And then to read this article that everyone's upset about and everyone's like, this is a crazy article. I gotta read Um, it. Send it to me. I will. Dear readers, just so you know, I love you so much and I could talk to you all day, but we're in the hottest we're it's pretty delivering this podcast to you today directly from hell it's been hotter before but tonight today i haven't been this pregnant while it's been this hot let me put it that way it's a lot drink some extremely uncomfortable will you drink some water just for me really quickly oh yes sometimes you forget and i think it's important okay so the reason i'm sharing this story Mm mm-hmm the reason I'm sharing this story is because I finished Grey's Anatomy. I did it. I Bravo. said it early. Thank you. You set out to do a thing. You completed I did your it. task. I did it. And it was always on in the background. And I stand by my critiques of the show, which I will launch another podcast about. But in the meantime, all of their like little weird medical things happened. And uh-huh. I'm like, one of them interests me. And I looked it up and it was based on truth. So this, I got no. this. No. Yeah, I got That's rewarding. Grey's Anatomy, giving right back to Carrie what right? Carrie puts in. I have invested seven, 16 seasons, and I got one story out of it. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? It was worth every minute of it. But it was worth it. every fucking minute. Mm, which me. Love me. <laughs> How to save a life. Okay, so by the way, the <laughs> amount of covers in that, it's so good. Oh. Um. So I got this from Newsweek, Wikipedia, Medium, NBC News, Detroit News. Can you guess where this takes place? 
Seattle. I said Detroit News. <laughs> oh, but isn't Grey's Anatomy in Seattle? <laughs> I'm picturing the whole... I'm, you You're, have to know that also every person you bring up in this story, I'm going to be picturing actors from the Grey's record, Anatomy okay, I will tell them. you who this involves. This involves Arizona Robbins. Got it. Owen Hunt. Yes. Sort of like a beeline to the episode, Owen's the quite redhead, honestly. Right? Owen's the redhead who I'm there. is very like... I'm so serious. So serious. <laughs> Oh, and you're so serious. Very serious. He's okay. been to war, for God's sakes. Well, the whole, yeah, PTSD, baby. This is about Dr. Fareed Fata. Okay. Great name, Fareed Fata. Um, he's born in Lebanon. When I was doing research about his early life, I found an early life is like his medical training. Because, spoiler alert, this involves a doctor. Mm. He did his residency at Malmonides. I never know how to say that, but it's in Brooklyn, and I've been to one of their clinics. Then he was a fellow at the Hematology Oncology at um, Memorial Sloan Kettering um, in Manhattan. And then he attend. He was an attending at the Geisinger Medical Center in Pennsylvania. So that's like his medical background. But eventually he goes to Michigan, sets up shop, and he opens in 2003 the Michigan Hematology Oncology. So hematology is a study of blood. Oncology is a study of cancer. So he's like a blood cancer specialist, if you don't know what that is. Um, we'll call it MHO, Michigan Hematology Oncology. So over the next 10 years, he becomes one of the most respected doctors, especially for blood cancers in Michigan. And so much so that he opens like seven locations all over Detroit. And he has, so he has treatment centers, labs, radiation centers, um, facilities, like all of it is working and all, all of it is a, is a part of the MHO. During his peak, he served like 16,000 patients since 2005. So like a shit ton of people. And I guess at the height, it also said 17,000. So between 16 and 17,000 people he's treated at his clinics. That's so a lot. it's like no fucking joke. He was known as being really aggressive um, with chemotherapy. So he would take people who were terminally ill and be like, I can cure your cancer and give them huge doses, huge doses with frequency of chemotherapy. He called it the European protocol, which was like why you're allowed to do way more there. I don't know. You are, though, aren't you? In the sense that I only say that with the bias that there are drugs that you were that are over-the-counter there that are not here. There are so many good drugs over-the-counter over there. But they seem more... Res- don't Doesn't Europe seem like the grown-up and we're the kids? We're the teenagers? Like, if you... Like, we, they're it's like, America, we can't trust you with this stuff because you'll like, misuse it. And well, in Europe, America- everyone's like... Well, here's why. I just read a really great medical book by this guy, T.R. I was about to say T.R. Knight, who was on Grey's Anatomy, and that's not correct. This guy's <laughs> T.R. Reed. Um, and what he does is he searches for healthcare all across the world. And so he visits he visits the U.S., Canada, um, France, Japan, India, in, yeah, and he and England. And he goes and he looks at all of their healthcare systems and how they're set up and how they're good and how they're bad. And one of the things that I think America functions really low on, which I think is why we're one of the number one in terms of COVID-19, is because I think as America, we're all about personal freedom and liberty and, quote, choice. And in Europe, with socialized healthcare, with universal um, medicine and things like that, there's this, like, 
group collective energy of we're all a part of the system. And so we have to protect each other. And in America, we just don't fucking have that. And this story would not exist. It's like this story is like Breaking Bad in that this story would not exist in Europe. This story can only exist in the U.S. that I'm about to tell you. So he becomes a naturalized citizen in 2009 because he's born in Lebanon. So what happened was, is, again, he started the clinic in 2003. So there's this woman, Maggie Dorsey. She's diagnosed with cancer in 2004. She's given seven months of chemo, and all of a sudden, she can't walk. She then learns, because, like, something's going on, another doctor checks her out, that she doesn't have cancer. <gasps> Not in remission. She didn't have cancer. In 2007, she sued him for malpractice, um, and they settled out of court in 2009. So that's sort of, like, one of the first things that come up that's like, hmm, that's a little fishy. Mm-hmm. In 2010, um, an experienced oncology nurse was interviewing to be a part of the practice. And while she was there interviewing, she noticed certain protocols that other nurses were doing that just were a little weird and strange. Like secret handshakes? Secret handshakes, butt touches, <laughs> on-call room, basically Grey's Anatomy. Okay. She complained to state authorities about concerns, and one of her concerns was that he was pumping patients with drugs to bill their insurance companies for more money. Aha. Uh-huh. And she did this in 2010. She did not receive a response until 2011, and in 2011, she got a form letter that said that there wasn't any evidence to support an investigation. So this woman is trying, like, you know, fuck, I love nurses. She trusted her blank. She tried it. Nothing happened. In 2013, a woman by the name of Monica Flagg was diagnosed with multiple myeloma, um, a blood cancer. And he told her that she had to have a lifetime worth of chemotherapy to survive for a chance of survival. So she was given this like crazy diagnosis. But he was like, if you just keep coming in for chemo, you will survive. July 1st. Sorry, dear readers, babies. July 1st, um, after her very first session of chemo, she broke her leg in two places. When this doctor came in, because Fareed, Dr. Fata was on vacation. So one of his colleagues at the office, this guy, so Monglay, he came in, he looked at her chart and he was like, whoa, these numbers are super strange. Like her numbers are normal. These are not the numbers of a cancer patient. So he's like, he helps with her leg, whatever, fix it, figures it out, sends her home. The next day he goes back and looks at all of her records and he found nothing that would suggest that chemo would be required. Now keep in (gasps) mind, this woman was told she had cancer. And that she had to keep coming for her whole life. For her whole life. He said multiple myeloma can start with like minor changes in the blood. So I guess like he was like a really dishonest doctor can say, oh yeah, you need chemo. For this, even though it doesn't exist, because I guess there's like some sort of like fail safe. The numbers can be a little weird anyway and avoid detection in that. And so since she was super healthy already, like she was had cancer, but she was otherwise very healthy. He could collect insurance on this chemotherapy that she would have to do for the rest of her life. So he could keep collecting like it was like a cash cow. Mm -hmm. He was like, you have cancer. Keep coming back. So the next day, he tells Monica, he's like, listen, 
you don't have cancer. I'm giving you all of your records. Something that MHO did not traditionally do was give anyone their records. And he was like, don't ever see Dr. Fata again. Oh, shit. Can you imagine working there or being the victim of this? And like having this other doctor when your doctor happens to be gone, be like, shh, the call's coming from inside the house. You don't have cancer. And you're like, what? So this doctor already was on the verge of leaving in a sense that like earlier he found out that Dr. Fata had lied just blatantly about being enrolled in an accountability program or um, it was a uh, a professional quality program. So he Mm -hmm. like lied to him that he was a part of this program. And then he found out about um, Monica Flagg's diagnosis being false. And he was like, I got to get out of here. However, he was like, that's not enough to do anything. I got to find more information and I got to stay here to to uncover what's going on. Mm hmm. Because he knew Monica's case wasn't enough to shut this place down. So he keeps looking into records and he finds more and more evidence of this happening, including, so not only chemo, he was treating patients with this thing called um, IVIG, which is a specific, it, it helps treat specific immune deficiencies on no medical basis for this thing. So like he went and he looked through all of it. He actually persuaded a nurse practitioner to follow up and confront Fata. So he was like, there's no need for this, blah, blah, blah. Something's going on. And the nurse practitioner was like, okay, I'll, I'll talk to him and see if he'll stop. And so the nurse practitioner was like, this doesn't seem right. I think we should stop. And he's like, okay, we'll stop. Which felt for this doctor more proof that he was lying. Cause he's like, no doctor would just like change his protocol willy nilly like that based on one person challenging their perspective totally he's like this is super fucking fishy yeah it's like he got caught and he was like okay yeah he's no like, yeah, yeah that's you know that's a good you know i didn't better think about it Oof. um then he gets this guy george karadesh involved or george karadesh starts getting involved in his own he's the office manager and he's noticing that staff and doctors are leaving at alarming rates with no reason He's like, why is everybody leaving? What's going on? Like, what's with this shakeup happening? And Mongley went and was like, I think you got to you gotta look into what's going on. I think there's something fishy going on with the chemo situation and giving chemo to people that don't, that, that they don't need it. And nurses also repeated the same issue. It's like, we're giving people medication they don't need. So Karadesh decides to look into it. And Karadesh is interesting because he was involved in a earlier... Ex, of an earlier situation where he exposed medical fraud previously. So he had like FBI and fucking speed dial. So he looks in and that drug that I mentioned, that IVIG, that Macaulay, to- Macaulay was like, by the way, you're talking about chemo. Also look into this like immune deficiency situation that he's treating people with. He looked through all the cases and he found that 38 out of 40 of the people that were administered that drug showed no need for it. Oof. Don't like those numbers. Do not. Yeah. Two out of 40 needed it. Great. Probably because he got them fucking sick anyway. So he calls the FBI and he's like, hey, guys, it's me again. It's me, George Karadesh. <laughs> OK. Yeah. Um, I think I got another situation. I don't know how I keep landing in these spots where I'm exposing medical fraud. But here we are again. So he gives them all the information. And then Karadesh sued Fata, the Michigan hematology and oncology and also their like other entities affiliated entities or whatnot under the false claims act 
on August 5th. And what's crazy about this is because he personally sues them, he's entitled to a financial reward. So he's the only one that could possibly sue and get a payout. And I was like, ooh, that sucks because this guy like Mongole did the same work but didn't sue it. And I bet there's, I don't know, I'm I'm editorializing here, but I bet there's probably a difference between indicting your fellow doctor and being an office manager. Like, I feel like they're probably, I don't know exactly the situation. Either way, Mongole applauds Karadash. He's like, he's a hero for what he's doing and exposing him. I think Mongole just didn't have enough evidence Mm. and didn't have access to it. So Karadash had to follow through on that justice. So the next but day... But Karadash should take Mogley out to dinner, at least. He should at least, yes. Brunch, if nothing else. Night, brunch. Well, no, dinner. No. You know what? Dinner. He you know what? It. A full, dinner. A couple bottles. What is one mimosa? I want bottles and bottles of wine. <laughs> you know? That's dinner for me. Ugh, one day. I'm sorry to bring it up. Um, so the next day, Fata's arrested for healthcare fraud, which this makes me kind of fucking insane that his arrest record was about insurance fraud, healthcare fraud. It wasn't even about hurting people. Right. Which I think we all know that getting chemo is not supposed to be chill. It's not chill. Like you, that's a fucking It's being like, oh, I'm woman on here. Do this the rest of your life. Like, don't you just feel like absolute shit all the time? That's a death sentence. Like she's... So anyway, so there's like a bunch of things that the FBI is compiling when they're suing him. They allege that a patient fell and hit their head in Fata's office. And instead of the doctor, Fata was like, you need to go to the hospital. He was like, you should really finish your chemo first. So the guy (laughs) finishes his chemo or her chemo. The patient finishes their chemo and apparently then went to the hospital and reportedly died from the head injury. What? crazy what's insane to me too is apparently also within this indictment it was claimed that like he would meet terminally ill patients and like i said earlier he was like i can cure you i'll use this european fucking protocol in fact he didn't inform his his patients that they were dying so they were all given false hope that Mm. they could live and they were just filled with chemotherapy so that he could bill their insurance which is also such bullshit because if you were terminal and you had, let's say, I don't know, a couple of months to live, you don't want to be. You're going to go chemo. fucking you sailing. You're going to go exactly. to Europe. You're not. Uh, t- you're not. You're going to go to Europe. You're not going to sit around and do European protocol fucking chemo treatments. Chemo. Unless, but again, he's talking to these people in vulnerable. It's like it's twofold. One, he's. He's diagnosing completely healthy people with cancer and forcing them under chemotherapy. Everyone, PSA, get a second opinion. Two, he also is doing um, terminally ill pay. He's taking away the last moments of their life and putting them in pain. fucking monster. A monster. He would offer this thing called maintenance chemo where people would just come in every now and then and do some chemo, (laughs) which I've never heard of. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But like... Based on his record, it just doesn't sound like I trust him. So when they arrested him, his bond was initially set at $170,000. And then they realized that he had about $9 million in assets. And so they raised the bond to $9 million, So he was in jail. Finally, through all this, FBI, the FBI got evidence that he coerced 553 patients into getting over 9000 unnecessary injections and infusions over six years. Jeez. 
That's so fucking many. Also, so in doing that, he charged insurance companies and Medicare $34 million in fraudulent and unnecessary claims. Mm. $34 million. Some of them say 35. I'm going to err on the side of... But 30? That is insane. And also, how our fucking system is so broken that this happens. Like, it's such a fucking joke. Um, he took kickbacks from two local hospices. Took um, what? Kickbacks. Mm. So he would like, you know, they would have like a money exchange situation. Um, he put a ton of his own, the proceeds that he'd made into his own diagnostic testing facilities where he ordered unnecessary tests. So like I said, he had this MHO had like radiation testing labs, all this stuff. It was all under his purview. Like he could control everything. And in doing so, he was manipulative in that he he would never share records with patients. Like he was very secretive about the records. He was always on call. Like even if other doctors were there, he was always on call with his patients. Like he always held Because he to- couldn't have them see someone exactly. else. Exactly. He took a vacation at the wrong time. This all culminated. It's This is one of the largest. It's interesting because I'm trying to think how he could have gotten out of it because it's like he took a vacation at the wrong time. He had no business ever taking a vacation with all these lies set up. Of course well, he's going to he get caught. What's crazy is I think he's treating people who actually have the cancer, right, in conjunction with these lies, but it's hard to parse through any of that. I mean, he has other doctors working underneath him, and it doesn't sound like he's forcing the other doctors to submit to his protocols. But I think also when Karadesh was looking at, when he was looking at all the numbers and everything, he noticed that the consultation to treatment ratio was so high with him. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like he was like anyone who came in was like cancer, cancer, cancer. Oh, and you're like, oh, this guy this is super has fucking never suspicious. seen somebody and been like, you're actually fine. I would Bye. love to be like the one person who's like, he didn't have cancer. It's like, well, how'd you fool? What? Mm-hmm. I mean, he had to like sprinkle one in there because it couldn't be. But I guess no one was checking up. I mean, he started it. He was one, you know, the head guy's. He was indicted. It was a 23 count indictment that charged him with healthcare fraud, conspiracy to take and receive kickbacks, money laundering, and unlawfully procuring naturalization. I mentioned that he was a naturalized U.S. citizen. That was just like tacked on at the end because they claimed when he applied for natural legal naturalization as a citizen, he lied about the fraud he was committing. It's kind of like a little weird. Oh, it's just a little fuck, fuck you. you. Exactly. Got it. So it actually, it feels like that fuck you, though, might have helped him because he pled guilty. Although, I'll to go into that. He pled guilty in 2014 or no contest, which just means like accepting the fates, um, to 13 counts of healthcare fraud, one account of a conspiracy to pay or receive kickbacks, and two counts of money, money laundering. In return, immigration charges were dropped. And I'm proud to be an American. <laughs> like, really no, did not want to go back to Lebanon, I guess. The U.S. Attorney General on the case compared him to Bernie Madoff. Um, and just, like, how... Sociopath. Just, like, it's the it's one of the largest healthcare frauds in history in the wow. United States. What's crazy at his sentencing in 2015, as we know, the victims can give testimony. And so I'm going to go through some of what happened with the victims because we only kind of talked about it in abstract. And I think it's worth it to give people's experiences their day. This guy, Robert Sobieri, from 
the needless amount of chemo. And there was a picture of him holding his grandchild. He lost all of his teeth and he twitches uncontrollably and he still does. Like he has lasting effects of the chemotherapy on his body. This woman, Patty Hester, she lost all of her hair after being um, falsely told she was terminally ill. She had um, blood cancer, right? So she was like, put me on the bone marrow transplant list. And he was like, I refuse. You shouldn't be on the transplant list because, of course, they'd have to run tests and everything. So he couldn't put her on that list. And he gave her iron infusions and a drug for the immunodeficiency, which I think is the same IVIG drug I mentioned earlier, although I don't know. I'm just assuming. She also noted that the stress of finding about finding out about Fata's um, deception caused her high blood pressure, which feels like the, I mean, it's a big fuck you, sure. Her husband, though, also gave a statement. And this was so heartbreaking because he talks about how she was told she was terminally ill. So they like planned a rushed Walt Disney trip with their family to create lasting memories. And he watched her get sick from the chemo and give away her belongings and like say goodbye to her friends. Fuck that. He was so depressed himself at losing his wife that he plunged into depression and he took up smoking and drinking like he just was at a loss himself. This guy, Steve Skrizbikak, that is not how you say his name. I am fully aware. And yet here we are. Skrizbikak. We're going to say it that way. But he was told he had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And so he had a metaport implanted into his chest and he underwent more than 25 treatments with a chemo drug in six months. He said that was four times what other doctors would have recommended for a cancer patient in remission. And as it turned out, he didn't have the disease. Oy. Like, so not only was he doing the European protocol with huge amounts of chemo, it was people who weren't even fucking sick. Um, He said, I saw two doctors after he was put in jail. Both told me within five to ten minutes that I never had cancer and I shouldn't have been treated for cancer. Jesus. He's still suffering the physical side effects of the the chemicals. Cheryl Bades, her mother, had lung cancer. And all the other doctors she visited said that chemo wouldn't help. It was inoperable. It wouldn't help. But then they went to Fata. And Fata said that he was going to cure her. He promised her that um, she would see her youngest granddaughter graduate from high school. None of that happened. She died because it was terminal and he just wanted to collect money from her insurance. This person, Cece, um, had 177 unnecessary chemo treatments. 177. Think about that, too. Like, you're taking off of work. You're, like, not present with your family. Just like life lost. And she still has problems with her bladder, bowels, and kidneys, and she can no, they can no longer complete basic tasks. Fata at his trial said he was, quote, horribly ashamed of his behavior <laughs> and that he that this was all a self-destructive quest for like power and money. So he admits this at his trial. He sentenced. He does sound like Bernie Madoff. Totally. He's sentenced to 45 years in prison. It's only a fourth of what they recommended, but it's enough where he'll be 80. It's enough where he'll probably die in jail. He should be sentenced to chemo. He should be sentenced to chemo forever. He's serving a sentence in South Carolina. The earliest possible release is October 19th, 2052, and he'll be 87 years old. In 2016, that guy, George Karadesh, who filed a suit, 
He got a $1.7 million settlement settlement from filing that suit. The story is not over. In May 2018, Fata was like, oh, I, I'm not actually guilty. I've always oh. maintained innocence. I want you to re- remove my plea guilty. I'm not, I would like to go to trial. A George fortunately, a judge, George, a judge fortunately was like, fuck that. You admitted guilt in court. It's I'm not over. opening this case. It's over. And he was like, my lawyer said that I would have a lesser sentence if I pleaded guilty. And his lawyer's like, we said you should go to trial. And he forged their signatures. Like, he's just a fucking con man. He's claiming that he was, like, always pr- maintaining his innocence, which is bullshit. It's not over yet. In March of this year, along with many, 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 many other prisoners, I personally know of a case in this situation where a lot of criminals who are convicted are petitioning courts to let them out because of the coronavirus. And his jail has been affected by the coronavirus. And so he claims that he has, well, he's he says that his existing conditions are type 2 diabetes, gastrointestinal bleeding, early dementia, which might account for the fact that he, quote, maintained his innocence. I'm chalking that up to dementia. But the judge is like, all of these ailments are controlled by medication. You will not be out. But just as an addendum, since late March, 1,972 inmates have been released and put on home confinement to stop the spread of COVID-19. So there are there are certain situations where criminals are let out of jail. Not this guy, though. Not this guy, thank God. Yeah, don't let that guy out of jail. Come on. I mean, I don't know if I should say this. I'm, I know of a story of a person murder for hire who was pled guilty, who was let out of jail. What? Right. No yeah. shit. Yeah. I know personally. I haven't told that you story. You hired them? I don't know if I should, but like, it's a wild story. It's, I don't know if I should tell, I should tell it one podcast, but I don't know if I'm allowed. You know, like it's. You have to get some permissions. In I line. have to, it's my, anyway. Okay. All that's to say, that's a story of Farid Fata. The fucking monster who used chemotherapy as his personal bank account. And what's crazy about this is the $34 million that he charged insurance companies. Mm -hmm. That means like all of our premiums went up because we all paid that. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like we all fucking like that's how insurance works is we all have to pay into it to pay out. So he like stole from everyone. He stole from you, dear reader. Dear reader, he stole from you. You should be fucking pissed. Thanks for listening. How do you know I listened? I could see it in your eyes. Seemed engaged. Well, you, you acted like it. Well, I am an actor. <gasps> I knew that. Dun, dun, dun. The story that I am to tell you mm-hmm. is a story that I got um, from Snopes. Vice. Snopes, you checked if it was true. Of course. I don't. It's very true. Blasting news, hauntedrooms.com, cheatsheet.com. Definitely true. And a Hollywood Reporter interview with the son of Ed and Lorraine. You know Ed and Lorraine, our yes, friends. Yes, of course I know Ed and Lorraine. Yeah, their, their son-in-law. Uh, there was an interview with him in the Hollywood Reporter that was also great. So, guys, we're going to talk about Annabelle the doll. Shut up. I'm so excited. Yeah, Yay. why not? Okay, good, you know, good, 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 good. Kind good. of need like a 
something a little spooky. Dare I say spooky kooky. <laughs> it's spooky and kooky, and that's why I like it. Actually, someone just I just saw Annabelle. She was a raggedy Ann doll, wasn't she? Yes. Which is, um, you know, dear readers, there's been like films made of her and they always elect to do like a much creepier looking like a doll. glass porcelain yeah. figure and raggedy With crazy Ann. eyes. But really, raggedy Ann is scary enough. Yeah. I, I had a raggedy Ann growing up. Did you? No. I did. No, was not into raggedy Ann, was not into raggedy Andy. Wow, what did Raggedy Andy look like? Same exact as Raggedy Ann, but... But just had, shorter hair? And he had, like, yeah, <laughs> suspenders instead of a dress. But both had, like, a heart on their chest. Did they? A heart? Like, it was like a paisley heart, right? Am well, I... you know what? We will post a picture of Annabelle on our Instagram, so you can look forward to that. That and mode. So there's these two nursing students, Donna and Angie, that live together in Hartford, Connecticut, and in 1970, Donna's mom gifts her this Raggedy Ann doll that she purchases secondhand from a hobby store. Too old. Too old. You're a nursing student. What are you doing with her? She's rag- an adult. She's so let's a- look at the, the first creepy thing that happens. An adult receives if my mom, what would a you do secondhand if your mom, doll. What would you do right now if your mom was like, I got you something, Quinn, and she handed you a secondhand doll? I'd punch her in the face. And then would you be like, sisters, the frame? <laughs> and then I, th- yeah, I'd throw the frame that says sisters at her. <laughs> How dare you keep buying garbage? <laughs> you have a problem. <laughs> Seek help. <laughs> so strange shit starts happening right away. There's like barely a pause. So they know what's up. Basically, what would happen is the nurses would leave the doll uh, somewhere. I don't know, on the couch. And then they'd come home and the doll would be in the bedroom. And they'd little things like her position. So like they'd have her on the bed and her legs would be crossed. They'd come home. They'd be uncrossed. But it's slight just enough. Spread eagle. Just spread eagle. Just, just like asking eh, Come for on it. over. What I think the thing was was that it's like small enough things and two people live there that you don't notice at first. Because if you thought you left a doll somewhere and then you came home and it was elsewhere. It was my roommate. Yeah. So I think it goes by for a while undetected, but like they have little moments where they're like, ah, oh, I could have sworn I. I mean, if and it's the movie version. they're students, you know, they're like, they're busy. They're, they're you know, busy. taking care of people. They're strong. They're, you know. Right. Then the movements start to, I don't know, increase and get more movie. There's a doorbell. Did you hear that? Yeah. Who do you think's here? Annabelle. <gasps> If we went and opened the door and there was a little raggedy Ann there. That would be the best prank ever. It would be the best day of my life. Except if we're live streaming the podcast. <sighs> to Annabelle, maybe we are. How did she know? Do you want to text Matt? Is he in here? I hear Co outside. <laughs> Wait. Dear readers, something really scary is happening where we just heard a, we door heard a doorbell. Open. Then we heard Which... gas stove. Matt? I didn't hear a gas. I heard a door open. And I hear, I just heard footsteps. Is the front door open? You're the one that was supposed to lock it. I had to have locked it. <laughs> I wanna, should I go out? I hear someone. Wait, hold on. I'm going to go. Guy, <laughs> dear readers, you are witnessing paranormal activity currently. Hello? 
Dear readers, Carrie just left the room. I'm here alone. This is happening in live time. Something haunted. Actually, I think that we're just scaring ourselves in this room because it's too hot. So all our uh, all our brain cells are dying. And the slightest noise is making us nervous. It's kind of fun, though. Feels like being a kid again. I texted Matt, are you in here? And he wrote back, no. Backyard. The front door was locked. There's a box inside, though. Inside the house? Yes. Huh. But the door, I just checked. And it's locked. I hope we keep all this in. We, we have to. It's the scariest <laughs> thing that's ever happened. But, like, it's a box for Spencer. I swear, like, there's a box down the front, in the front. Uh, Matt's like, are you done? I'm going to say no. We got scared. We got so scared. That was, I think, I just checked. Wow. Also, dear readers, let it be known that I, I didn't know I'd be someone who marches into danger, but I guess I am. Not me. I just sit tight. I was worried for you and your baby. Oh, thank you. That's so sweet. <laughs> I was like, holy shit, that was scary. Yeah, that was scarier than the Annabelle story is. So I'm really glad it happened. Um, All right. Let's go back to this scary story. (laughs) (laughs) Still shaking up a little bit. Okay, Um, we're back. And I texted Matt while you were gone. I was like, are you in the house? And he's like, no, backyard. And I was like, dun, dun, dun. You're like, I hope Carrie comes back. Then I heard him. I wonder if it's, are, are Adam and Spencer here? Adam might be. So the Annabelle is now moving from point A to okay. point B. Yes. But the movements are getting weirder where something will happen. For instance, let's say like Donna puts her on the bed and right. then turns around a second later and she's somewhere else. It'll start to be like barely a moment's passed and she's totally moved. So then they're like, wait, we're on to you. Then they start looking around the house, not looking, but they happen to find around the house Pieces of parchment paper that say, help me, on the parchment paper. And they didn't own parchment paper. So they're like, we don't even know where the paper's coming from that could have been used. Yeah. Huh. So one morning they're eating breakfast in their little breakfast nook. And Annabelle is in the room and her arms lift up. And they're like, what the fuck? Then, soon after that, Donna comes home from school and the doll has blood on her, on her hands. And it looks like real blood, but it also looks like it's um, coming from the doll itself, like that the doll is expelling whatever liquid it is. So they're like, all right, enough. This is too crazy. We have to do something. This doll, it seems like she's trying to communicate with us. So they call a psychic who comes over, or like a medium. Right. And they hold a seance. With a Ouija board. I don't know if they used a Ouija board, but... Missed opportunity. How else do you do a seance? I mean, they must have. Light as a board, stiff as a feather. Something like that. Stiff as a board, light as a feather, stiff as a board. That's it. That's it. Feel the rhythm, feel the rhyme. It's Jamaican bobsled time. Yes. That's the craziest invocation. I believe that's the invocation you use. During the ritual, the psychic's like, I'm sensing the spirit of a young girl, six or seven years old. And I believe that what happened is 
where your house is used to be a field. There was a car accident here and this little girl died and her spirit has been wandering this area, trapped in this area. And when the doll came into the house, it wasn't haunted, but she attached herself to the doll to like be with you. Yeah. So because of this story and because Donna and Angie are fucking nurses, they're like kind of protective of her. Poor Koa. Do you think it's good that there's a kid crying in the background? Wait, I want to check. I'm like, I feel like I still hear things. Well, the windows are all open. I know. Let me just check the door again. Okay. I'm freaked out. Real talk. Do I have Camel to release? <laughs> no. God, that was, what a scary, this is a scary, Annabelle's here. I know. Okay, sorry. So, because they're nurses, they're like protective of the doll and they are sort of like sweet to it and keep it around and want to protect her and want this little girl that they think is inside the doll to like feel safe and good so they're they're not like oh let's get rid of it or anything they're like okay we live with this little girl we don't want her to be sad like we want her to be okay and they start kind of treating the doll like a human so now it's two adults that live with the doll that they treat like a person so Picture that. Picture that sitcom. The medium really knew what they were getting into. The medium was like, call it for a dog? Great, let's do it. Yeah. Um, everything's fine till one night this guy Lou comes over. I read in some things that Lou was one of their fiancés, and I read in other things Lou was their friend. So Friend zone. Typical Lou. Who knows what Lou's doing there, but he is sleeping on the couch, so I don't know if he's somebody's fiancé. Annabelle is seated at the opposite end of the couch and Lou wakes up and he's totally like panic attack style sweating. And one of the nurses is in the room with him and she's like, what's up? And he's like, oh, my God, I just had the scariest dream that Annabelle was crawling up my body and she started at my foot and she crawled up my leg and my chest and she got to my neck and she started trying to choke me. And Lou says that, and then he, like, grabs the doll and throws her across the room. Lou. Yeah. And Lou, it said that Lou was belittling her and saying she's nothing more than a raggedy Ann doll. She can't hurt anybody. Sounds like Lou was really shaken by this dream and embarrassed, and he was trying to calm himself down. Well, I think it's important to do the... Look, she just died. She can't even hurt anyone. She's a doll. Yeah. It's fine. It was nothing. <laughs> That's sort of how you're interpreting Lou. Also, like, I'm like, Lou just got in a physical fight with the doll. Like, weird flex. Like, <laughs> um, <laughs> so then Angie and Lou are hanging out, and they hear movement in Donna's room, but Donna's not home after this happens. And they get kind of freaked because they're like, like the way we just did. They're like, is someone broke in? But then they look inside and Annabelle's in there. And the doll's sitting in the chair. And they thought that she was supposed to be on the bed or something. Like they've, the doll has moved. And he goes toward Annabelle. And he feels like creepy tingle feeling. Mm -hmm. Like something uh, is wrong or off. And suddenly he has this horrible pain on his chest and looks down and there's all these claw marks on his body, like slash marks on his chest and his stomach, like someone has scratched the shit out of him. 
and no one's in the room but him and Annabelle when he has that feeling. And he's like, she did this. That is so scary. So the marks on his body don't really stay. They like vanish a couple days later. Like they don't heal normally. They heal double time. Right. So then the girls are a little bit worried because like before it was like it felt like it was a more benign sort of spirit. So anyway, they call the Warrens, our friend Ed and Lorraine. Yeah, of course. Because that's who you call. They are the Ghostbusters of our generation and every generation. Because they're Um, they're dead now. Correct. Well, to be fair, they don't know to call the Warrens. They call a priest and the priest is like, you know know who you should call? Call the Warrens. First, the Warrens are like, well, we'll get together with the priest, give him a little side business. He can do like an exorcism of the apartment. Um, Let's all go over together. And then the Warrens are like, we actually know what's up. Annabelle wants Donna. Like, she wants her soul. She wants her body. She wants to... Oh, this medium. First name was, like... She's not happy with the doll. She she wants a human. Annabelle's actually not a little girl. She's a demon. For sure. And demons prefer to not possess items or things. They prefer to possess people. Everyone knows that. So the priest is like, I'm going to exercise the apartment. And the Warrens are like, we'll take Annabelle with us. And they are like, let's drive on the back roads home because we don't want Annabelle to cause an accident if we drive on the highway. Hmm. And since they really know what they're talking about, they're the Warrens, for God's sakes. They are plagued with crazy car issues the whole drive home where the power steering fails. Oh, wow. Yeah, the power steering. That's a big one. The brakes fail, which you really don't want. And the engine of the car keeps stalling. So they pour some uh, holy water on Annabelle, and then the car problems go away. And they can get home safely. So then Ed puts the doll on his desk, and she starts, like, levitating over and over again. She's pretty unhappy to be there. So then... Finally, that stops, and they're like, I think the demon calmed down. But she kept doing the same business she was doing before of moving different rooms in the house, which is just off-putting. So they call the priest and are like, do you want to come over? And he's like, not taking it seriously. He's like, listen, she's not going to be able to hurt you. She's just a doll. (laughs) The words are like, all right, you think she's just a doll? Okay. But then the priest gets in a horrible car accident right after saying that, where the car flips over and the brakes fail. But he's only hurt. He's not killed. But still, don't say Annabelle's just a doll. Lou made that mistake. Big mistake. The priest makes that mistake. Big mistake. Huge. (laughs) So today, where does Annabelle live? She lives in a glass case in the occult museum in Monroe, Connecticut, that the Warrens, it was like their museum with all their weird haunted shit in it. And besides all the other chaos, she might be responsible for one death because Lorraine says that one time a couple came into the museum, the man started banging on the glass where Annabelle was and like saying shitty things and teasing her and joking about her. And then on the way home, got into a fatal car accident and he died. So Annabelle works via cars. Well, oh, actually, I think I'm wrong. I think it was 
a motorcycle. So they Either were way, on she a loves motorcycle. like an automobile. She likes. She has yeah, like she has she a lot of, Yeah, that's a way to she can control that. And maybe it's because she was in a car accident. Unless she's a, a demon. demon. Yeah, hard it, to tell. It's, tough. it's, it's tough. hard to keep the thread of the story, really. But I do think <laughs> that um, the girlfriend called out Lorraine and said, my boyfriend was talking shit about Annabelle when he crashed the bike. And we went head on into a tree. And Ed of Ed and Lorraine said, he challenged the doll to do its worst. And it did. Ooh. that I don't love that. Because, like, that's like... He had it coming a little bit, and I don't love that. No, but Ed and Lorraine, you know, they they're don't fuck like, around. you can't fuck around with haunted shit. Oh. So then, this is just like crazy. On August 14th, and I'm talking about this August yes. 14th, like two weeks ago? Yes. Okay, what happened? Rumors started getting spread that the doll escaped from the museum. And social media was, like, having a field day about this. Oh, shit. There was, like, all this alarm and rumor spreading. And what actually happened, they think, is that there was an interview that didn't translate correctly from Chinese to English that was on YouTube. And it was Hollywood Reporter published this interview with Annabelle Wallace, the actress that plays Mia in the movie Annabelle about the doll. And she's talking about her new film, The Silencing, and what it was like to work with Tom Cruise in The Mummy. And she's talking about running, like the act of running in the interview a bunch. And then they flash in the interview to escape scenes from The Mummy. Mm-hmm. And it, it somehow it was misconstrued as Annabelle the doll running, like escaping, like somehow mistranslated <laughs> in Chinese to English to like... I just think that's so funny. And Lorraine's like, Lorraine's dead now. So sad. But she. But they're like, they're communicating right now. Well, no. But they always did say that they had priests come in and, and bless everything. So they say that the prayers that they have done sort of act as an electric fence for a dog or something. So th- basically, I'm telling you that because I'm telling you Annabelle can't escape. There's an electric fence of prayer around her (laughs) okay i wish that worked i wish that would be so nice and actually the museum closed in 2018 and tony sparrow the son-in-law is looking for a new place to house the museum it was like a zoning issue but i don't think it's actually reopened wild and then i just wanted you to read this because i love it okay so cat blowers or blowers Cat Blowers, an Arizonian. Is that what you say? Arizonian? Arizonan? Arizonian. 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 She investigates haunted items and rehomes haunted dolls through her Etsy shop. That's her deal. Cool. Thank you, Cat. Cool, cool, cool. So Cat says, this is a quote from her. Depending on how well the containment is, which I hear is pretty strong, I think Annabelle would go back to doing the exact same type of hauntings she has been confirmed doing in the past. She told that to Vice, and she said, she has been given so much attention from the living world, she would be even stronger than she was last time she was active. And she says that she thinks that Annabelle would try to find a weak soul like a child or someone not strong enough to fight off her energy. And that she would start doing everything she was doing before, but worse, 
She says some spirited items do go dormant. I don't think that Annabelle ever will. We are feeding her with every article, every glance. Every time we type her name, she is getting that energy and she will never stop feeding off that. Quinn, why the fuck are you giving it more energy now? just want to see what happens. This is what happens. We get weird doorbells. Like, we're testing her. Don't test her. Haunted house, haunted house, haunted house, haunted house. I now live in a... Haunted house. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that fun? So fun. Happy Halloween. In a couple months. In a few months. In like two months. Yeah. Um, if only Ed and Lorraine were still around, we could write to them about what's going on today in this house. But don't you think that, like, Ed and Lorraine, if they they're, they invested their life into... Paranormal investigation. That, like, I think if I was Ed and Lorraine and I invested so much of my life into haunted objects and, like, hauntings, yeah, it would be a shame if I didn't come back, if my spirit didn't come in and, like, haunt things. Oh, so you're saying you think they came back to haunt stuff. I hope so. I think it would be like if they were being strategic about it to help out their family and their uh, son, they should come back and do some fun hauntings at the museum. Get some business. Because that's really That's just a, that's a tip, Ed and Lorraine. Ed and Lorraine, if you're out there, if we had our Ouija board, to be like, listen, we got a great business plan for you. Feel free to haunt us. We'll cover it. We'll cover it. Yeah. And truly, darkly, creepily. Feel free to haunt my Venmo account for that sweet idea. Yeah, yeah. Feel free to haunt our Patreon, too. You know, like, feel oh, yeah. free to haunt our Patreon. Oh, I really hope we get it. Wouldn't it be great if it was Ed and Lorraine ghost? Yes. Become a Patreon subscriber. And there's some really <laughs> spooky episodes coming up on our baby creepy episodes. Te- teeny tiny creepily. Teeny tiny creepily's for Patreons. And there's some really good spooky stuff coming what up. I tell the last So one? I'm not telling. They have to. Right. They'll never know unless. This is very creepily. They give us all that money. And we become. Just like a decent, make like a living a, wage, yeah, like, like a normal minimum wage. Yeah, that'd completely. be nice. That'd totally. be good. Yeah. Mm-hmm.